Well, it's good to be here. Uh, as it's already been announced, I'm Jeff Ross, one of the associate pastors here. And uh, uh, I look forward to this morning. Tyler, thanks for the prayer, uh, especially where you said Easter doesn't stop here. Uh, Easter doesn't stop. And so we, we still have the decorations. And that's kind of what I want us to, to look at today, uh, this idea of after Easter, um, what, what's next? Uh, so a couple of questions I want us to, to think about today is what happened that we can look at and capture for ourselves from that first Easter? So what happened there that maybe can inform us as, as we move forward? And then the second thing to kind of think about is, um, in, is post-COVID Easter aligning um, with some other significant pivots in the Bible? And what can we learn from looking at those that helps us? Is, is post-COVID Easter church uh, going to look and feel, smell, taste uh, a little different? And uh, what, what's already in the Bible that can help us to kind of look at that? So it's kind of where I want us to, to go today. Uh, I want to kind of put some things on a wall uh, and see if there are some dots that connect them. So uh, I'm not going to do that at the end. Uh, my hope is that uh, the Holy Spirit will sort of nudge you to kind of think about, okay, for me and my class, my group, myself, uh, this service, this church, this community, uh, what, is, what is it that God's up to? So I want us to, uh, to look this morning at a couple of places, uh, John chapter 20 and then 1 John chapter 1. And uh, look at a couple of, of scripture passages that, uh, that can help us look at uh, post-Easter life. And so uh, in this passage, Jesus has just had the encounter with Thomas, where Thomas uh, has had some questions. And uh, Jesus doesn't run him off or belittle him. He answers the questions and they have a conversation. And then the next section says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you might have life in his name. So Jesus, after Easter, uh, was pointing the disciples in the direction of life. Life ought to be something to write home about. It ought to be uh, something where... Uh, there's a difference to be made. The church, life in, in Jesus ought to, to have some sort of meaning or purpose or, or direction, bring light into a darkened world. And so uh, a few years later, uh, John pins these words in uh, 1 John 1, verses 1 through 7. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him.
So as Jesus is directing the church and they're looking at this life, uh, the possibilities, um, the, the belief is that after Easter, <laughs> there ought to be some, some markers, some things that are different. Uh, Easter happened. It, it actually happened last week. Uh, and uh, the year before and the year before and the year before, we celebrate that Easter is an event, a historical event, uh, uh, an event that actually took place. So because of that, what? Uh, uh, Easter uh, signifies to us that uh, Jesus Christ is alive uh, and his Holy Spirit has come into uh, the, the, the people of God and into the church of God. So there ought to be some markers to sort of look at. So uh, in the course of a person's life, over many Easter's, there ought to be some movement uh, that signifies that, right? There ought to be something you could point to. That Okay, I started this way, uh, and here's what it looks now. The church started at this point, and this is what it looks like now. Uh, my group, small group, Sunday school class started this way, and here's what it looks like now. There ought to be something we can point to. And so I've, I've had a couple of things, uh, one recent and one more long-term, uh, that I want to kind of point to today that has kind of stirred my thinking. Uh, and that's why I say I want to throw some things up on a kind of a wall, uh, look at some passages in the Old and New Testament uh, where there's some pivotal changes uh, and what can we see from those changes kind of like Easter where life was one way before and then completely different after and what can we learn from that to kind of inform us uh, in how we might look at that. And so the first experience is a, a, a conversation I had with a, a pastor. I, I work, uh, uh, most of you know I, I retired sort of, kind of, a, a few years ago, and I work now part-time here at the church and then part-time coaching uh, pastors. And so I've got about 10 pastors slash churches that I work with uh, and had a call a couple weeks ago from a, a young pastor that wanted to explore what coaching and what that was all about. And, and so there was a concern that this pastor had uh, that he wanted to explore. And so, so we met and, and began to talk. And I, so I learned about him and his church. And, and here's kind of the dilemma that he's, he's struggling with. Part, he's a part-time local pastor. And so in the United Methodist Church, that means in most cases, uh, he has a full-time job. And he serves the church part-time uh, on weekends and evenings. And so he does his full-time job and then uh, uh, works with this church. And so that's a, uh, uh, he was part of a, a growing uh, church plant. Um, and he felt the call to ministry. And so that's the way a lot of ministers start is uh, they, they feel some sort of call. They, they get a, a church where we send them. And uh, we, we say, uh, try it out, see if it fits. And so that's, that's what he's doing. He's working at this church, and it's a small membership church, uh, kind of historic, 100 years old, uh, has a nice building, small parking lot, uh, and he's been assigned to the church. The church has been told many times over the last 10 to, uh, or so years that if they don't start doing something different, we, we're, there's a potential to, that we're going to close. The conference is going to close the church. It's in a growing area. 
and we want a, a church that's thriving, reaching people in that area. If they're not going to do it, then, then we need to, to find a, a, a group and a church and a place to do that. And so the, the church is trying to, to figure that out. And so the pastor that I'm talking with was appointed to that church. He came in uh, like a lot of young ministers do with a lot of ideas and thoughts. And some of it started to work. Some new people started to come. Some people from his old church because he's, he's been appointed to a church that's in the same county that he was in. And so some folks came with him to help him start this church. And, and so eight months or so into the, this experiment or this uh, new appointment for this minister, some of the people that he brought with him have come to him and said, we don't know if we can keep up. Um, and so he met with them to talk about what's the problem, what's going on. And he said to him, it's just exhausting. It's exhausting trying to have a conversation with the people who were in this church when we got here because they resent us. They think we're trying to take their church. Uh, they don't really want it to grow. And so they won't talk with us. And it's exhausting trying to start up a relationship with people who won't engage. And I thought, wow, usually in the coaching, when I get to a point like that, I say, well, tell me more, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to say and what to do. Um, so that's a dilemma. And so, that, and that's, that's not uncommon in, in churches in Christendom, not just Methodist churches, but across the globe, where you've got some folks in a church that, that know they need to change, but they don't know what to do, and they're scared of that. And so a lot of times when the conference tells them they, they need to do something different, they'll plant some flowers around the sign or, or they'll uh, uh, put up a banner in the church or, or maybe a, a flower cross or, or something. And they'll say, look, look at all the changes we made, uh, as if that's going to radically change the culture and climate uh, of the church. And, and so what do you do? But, but if Easter is real... And the power of Christ is at work in our lives, then there ought to be something that we can point to uh, more than an older building with a declining uh, membership. And so Easter is real. It, it happened. But for Easter to be realized in the world and, and in your life and in my life, it has to be more than just, wow, Easter was great, wasn't it? And then, and then what? what? What do we do with that? How do we incorporate that? How do we live into that? There's, a, uh, there, there's built into the, the celebration of Easter an expectation that we live as Easter people. And if we're living as Easter people, then in a church like my friend is at, there's an excitement and a joy and a camaraderie and a, a movement of God that people come together, uh, new folks this week and older folks from last week that join together in the mission and we get embraced in what God is doing and not separating and pointing fingers and calling names. So I want us to look this morning just kind of quickly at a couple of pivotal moments 
in church, in, in the Bible, uh, and, and what do we see that's common in those pivotal places? And so uh, right after Easter, in the Gospels and in Acts, a number of things are happening. Uh, Peter's forgiven. One of the first things that happens is Jesus finds Peter. Peter Peter's bummed because he's denied Jesus. He thinks that his life is virtually over. Jesus comes and forgives him. So there's forgiveness. There's not a holding on to grudges and to uh, complaints. There's honesty. The story, as I said before our scripture reading in the 20th chapter of John, is the story of Thomas. I love that that story's in the Bible because it allows us to question, to doubt, to confront Jesus confronts Thomas. He doesn't hide from the fact that he knows Thomas is a, is a little bit skeptical. He's not mad at the skepticism. Uh, not a lot of people have come back from the dead. And so those are honest questions that Thomas has. Uh, and Jesus is happy to talk about him. He's not scared of talking. He's not mad that Thomas has some questions. Uh, a little bit later in Acts is Peter's willingness uh, to talk to Gentiles and to embrace the Gentile community, which is huge because uh, the, the Jewish council and, and folks are slow to do that. Peter takes that story back to the council, the board of directors, uh, and they get on board with what God is doing, which is a huge thing. A lot of times the, the board is slow to say, yeah, let's do this new thing or let's change the way we do everything to accommodate. They're willing to follow God, not try to tell God what to do. Uh, they, they got organized. They uh, formed teams and banded together. They paired up. They took on tasks and missions and challenges. They cared for one another. Uh, they put mission first. And so that was, that was what began to happen uh, in this post-Easter time. So I want us to, to go back a little bit and look and see if there's some similarities. So let's, let's look at two things, the settling in the promised land and then the uh, coming back to Jerusalem after the exile time. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So in the promised land, Moses, leading the children of Israel out of slavery and captivity in Egypt, uh, one of the first things they do in this traveling is they get organized, right? So that's important, that as we move into something new, we talk about what this is going to look like, and we pave the way for good things to happen instead of create boundaries and limitations on what can happen. And so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to Moses and says, Moses, you need help. Moses agrees. They set up a, a new way of doing things. Uh, and we see some of those rules and laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And it's a bit much. I, I would agree with you. There are a lot of rules, a lot of laws, a lot of things to try to remember. Uh, but they're trying to figure out a new way forward. R remember that in this time, they're moving from family compounds Abraham was called by God. Abraham's family were the main character for most of Genesis. Uh, uh, and that family commune worshipped God as a family group. The patriarch, matriarchs of the family kind of set the agenda, the stage for what happens. But now they're moving uh, later in uh, uh, Genesis and Exodus into tribes coming together, groups of people coming together. And worship, life, organization has to look different 
when there are multiple uh, groups and people together. It has to change. It has to look different. You can fight against that. You can say we don't want that. You can say we liked it better the way it was. You can do whatever. But as you're moving into a new way of doing life in the world, you have to make allowances for that. Uh, one of the big issues, one of the big struggles is what do we do with uh, outsiders? As they moved into new lands and they moved into new places, what do we do with outsiders? What do we do with people that aren't part of our family? What do we do with folks that don't look like us, act like us, talk like us? What do we do with those folks? How do we accommodate that? So you have the story of Jonah. Jonah is asked by God to go to Nineveh. Jonah personally doesn't like the Ninevites, so he resists. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't care about the Ninevites. Uh, he doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want them to hear about God. He doesn't want to be the messenger to them. Uh, he doesn't want to like them. He doesn't want to help them. Uh, and, and so you have this battle that's going on. What do we do with those folks? Obviously, God wants the Ninevites involved and a part of a new team and a new way of looking at the world that God has a vision for that the uh, people like Jonah were reluctant to embrace. And, and so what do we do? Because people are scared. Leaders are scared. We're moving in a new direction. The world is changing. We're moving away from these small family compounds to larger walled cities of multiplicity of people. Uh, that world is scary to me. I don't control it as much as I did before. What's it going to look like? How is it going to act? Where is God in that? Um, God doesn't want us to do that. God doesn't want us to move into that. All of the struggles, battles, questions that we have today about a changing world were present in that day as well. And so that's kind of a quick overview, uh, but they also formed teams and alliances. They looked at new ways of doing things. They got creative with this changing world and how we're going to live in it. So let's move quickly to uh, the return the returning folks from the exile. So uh, in your biblical history story, uh, Jerusalem under King David and King Solomon grew to be a powerful entity. Uh, it was destroyed, uh, attacked by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. Uh, most of the Jewish folks were spread out around the Mediterranean area uh, for a number of years. Uh, they lived and, and worked. And so you have the story of Daniel, the story of Esther, uh, the story of Ruth, of these people in different areas, in different places, uh, and, uh, and how they worshipped, stayed faithful to God. And then at the end of that, that time period, uh, in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, Jerusalem is being rebuilt. Uh, the king of Assyria uh, sees Jerusalem as a major trade route and wants it rebuilt. Uh, so he talks to Nehemiah. Uh, because he knows that Nehemiah is from there, those are his people, he says, go to, to Jerusalem and rebuild it. When Nehemiah starts to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, people come from everywhere back to Jerusalem. And so again, this is a major pivot, a major shift. We were in exile. Uh, our homeland had been destroyed. We were sought down, killed. Uh, we had to be in hiding. Now we can be in the open. Uh, and so does life go back to the way it was? So this is a great story to kind of ponder post-COVID. 
Uh, do we go back to the way it was? Is that what we long for? Or does the world look different post-COVID, post-exile? And we're going to have to figure out what God is doing now versus just retrenching or going back to the way it was. What's going to be the way God moves and works and acts now? And so that was the struggle. You had people coming back from exile uh, that wanted just to return to the way things were. Pretend that nothing had ever happened over the last 80 years. Uh, that Jerusalem never fell, never got attacked. That nothing ever happened and just go along uh, life as usual. And those folks who were coming back and saying, you know, life is different now. Most of them had lived in foreign lands. They'd picked up some new practices. Many of them now had foreigners uh, as part of their family. Uh, there were people who said, we don't want any foreigners. Get rid of them. Uh, they will uh, destroy the purity of the Jewish people. And so we've got to get rid of them. Uh, and then there were those who loved their new uh, diverse families and said, there's no way we're getting rid. We're going to work together and create something new. And so the story of Ruth again and Daniel and Esther are, are talking about how we do that. Nehemiah, Ezra, God is doing something else. We're scared. We don't know exactly what to do. We don't know what this is going to look like, but God is up to something. And the church is going to, it has to, it must look different post-exile, uh, post-small family compounds than it does after. As we move into the book of Acts, I, I, I just kind of talked through some of the changes, uh, but those changes are, are a lot. The organization, again, was a key thing. Uh, the disciples came to one another and said, we can't do this all by ourselves. We've got to add some people. So as they moved into this post-Easter life, the church looked different. There were new roles for people. There was a new organizational plan. And the plan was established in order to help the church move forward and get out of its own way so that God could work and move and shape the church and the way things were, were going to be. There was a struggle with the other, uh, the outsiders, the foreigners, uh, and that was sort of uh, uh, lifted up as Peter goes to talk to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Uh, the Holy Spirit had come to Cornelius' family. There was no denying that. And so Peter went back to the church council and said, look, God is up to something that we're not. And we've either got to get on God's side or we've got to just do this on our own. And so the wisdom of the group uh, was to organize around what God was doing, which was really smart, and it's the only reason we're here today, uh, because the Holy Spirit was a part of that in setting up and guiding uh, the church. The church started out as an underground thing. As it became more popular and eventually became the state religion, there were changes in how the church looked and acted, and God was at work in those and so it was key that organization was important, organizing around what we see God doing so that we don't inhibit or hurt what God is doing. We get on board with God, and as leaders and people, we work together to see what God is doing and move in that direction and not fight with each other, which is the biggest struggle in the church today that we fight amongst ourselves 
when God is at work changing and reaching a lost world and the church is off in the corner fighting itself about this policy or that policy instead of trying to figure out what God is doing and getting on board with that and getting our egos out of the way. So when you have these pivots in the Old and New Testament, how do we pivot? When do we pivot? How do we know that God is at work? And so uh, that, that's, that's one of the questions I'm, we're pondering is, what is God up to and how is God up to it? And so probably the thing that is driving my struggle and contemplation about this is a recent surgery. Uh, most of, uh, probably many of you know that uh, the last year and a half, two years, I've had multiple surgeries. I'm just getting old and falling apart. I'm only 63. But I've had both hips replaced, the ball in the joint, and went through that. That was pretty easy. Uh, but recently, the first of the year, I found out that my shoulder, I thought it was like a rotator cuff from playing baseball or something. Uh, but it wasn't. It was arthritis. And so they had to do the whole ball and joint and, and a rod that goes down in my arm and redo the whole thing. And so I'm undergoing uh, shoulder replacement therapy right now. And so uh, as I go through that therapy, uh, there's something going on with me that's making me think about Easter in a different way this year. And so uh, you have the opportunity to sort of listen in and uh, my confusion and struggle with that this morning. So I, I hope this is helpful and I hope this illustration is helpful. Um, and so I'll try to turn around in a couple of places. Uh, the doctor wants me to put both arms out, like this is my good arm, uh, straight. Uh, that, that hopefully looks mostly straight. My other arm has a hump in it as you can probably see, I hope you can, uh, probably folks at home can see this easier, but I have this, it, it's not straight, and so that's part of what my, my therapy is. I've got to get my arm to go out straight without kind of hunching up when I put it out, I, and it does that because it hurts. So for the first six weeks after soldier, shoulder replacement surgery, you're in a sling, and as you're in the sling, this, this joint, the muscles and everything, tendons kind of tighten up uh, and, and constrict. And so you've got to go through therapy to get them straight again. And that takes six months, they say. So I go back to my doctor this week, and I'm hoping he says, Jeff, you're doing really well. I'm hoping he doesn't say, Jeff, you look horrible. Um, don't know what I'd do with that. But uh, and, and so here's my dilemma. My doctor said... And so I've been dealing with this for eight weeks now. Uh, in January, when I had the surgery, my doctor came out of the surgery and said, Jeff, it was successful. Your shoulder is healed. The surgery went great. Um, the, and so there's nothing more the doctor can do. So I'm associating that with Easter. Easter has happened. Uh, it's a fact. It's a reality. But in, in my case with my shoulder, I, I don't want it to... I don't want to live the rest of my life like that, struggling to get it, it even. It's, it's not where it needs to be. There's work to do, right? For my shoulder to get where it needs to be, there's work to do. The work of the doctor has been done. It's healed. It's a fact. Uh, the surgery went well. But I can't just sit on uh, my therapy and not do anything and say, gosh, gosh, I hope my shoulder starts feeling better soon. There's work for me to do. And um, 
it's painful, actually, uh, to, to do the movements and the stretches and the therapy that I'm supposed to do. <laughs> they have to push you uh, past a pain level that you're accustomed to to something you're not accustomed to in order to stretch those muscles out. And it's painful. It's not something I look forward to, but it's something I have to do. Uh, and, and so Easter's kind of the same way to me. That's what, at least what I've been thinking, is that Easter has happened, but it's not, it, it's not a reality in a lot of places if we just sit back and go, wow, Easter was great, wasn't it? Now, now what's for lunch today? It, it, it's, it takes some involvement. Uh, it, it takes something uh, for us to do. It, it takes us, it, it's, it, it, it's asking us to live into that. And so that's my, 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 my kind of struggle. Okay, so what is it that we need to think, say, or do? Uh, and, and that's what's driven me to sort of look at, okay, these pivotal times in, in history, what was going on in the church? What was God up to? Uh, so part of it is the organization, isn't it? It's organizing our life, our church, our class, our group, our little team, uh, whatever, to get out of our own way, to get out of our own head, to allow God to move and to be able to see what God is doing. Uh, it, it's getting a little organized. It's, it's being willing uh, to go in some places that maybe we didn't consider before because that's where God is leading. It, it's asking us to consider the people outside of our little bubble of people, uh, folks that maybe God is bringing in. Where, wh how do those folks fit? Where, what's our role? What's our obligation? What's our challenge? What's our task? How do we love? How do we invite, when people come to visit, how do we not exhaust them by our silence and unwillingness to engage? And so I, I guess my question, it's really questions that I want to leave you with post-Easter, is, is, is anything different? And I, and I think that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm thinking that post-COVID Easter is one of those pivots. I, I know it is in life. I mean, I know we're going to be dealing with stuff from COVID and all that's happened uh, for a while. And so that it only stands to reason that the church will too. And so post-COVID Easter, what's different? Might not be what we like or what we want to embrace, but what's nonetheless different that we have to acknowledge? What's the same? What are, what are the things that haven't changed that we can relax in at least that? Is there some sort of pivot? Is there something happening? Is, is God at work in some way? And it might be that he's not. Maybe nothing has changed, but I think the, the question and the struggle with the question is important for us to at least examine, is there a pivot? Is there some new understanding? Is there something that we see God at work? And that personally, collectively, uh, at work, at home, at play, is there some new understanding? Is there some action to take? Is there some team to form? Is there some team to join? 
Is there some conversation that needs to take place? Now, it's really my choice. I can, I can do this. I mean, I can eat and I can drive and I can do most things. I mean, right now. I, I don't need to push through this. Uh, it's, it's my choice. I, I can live less than if I want to. Or I can push through some temporary discomfort and work to get to the place where I really think I, I want to be. And I think that's the same with us in Easter and our faith and where God is calling us as a church and as a people, as individuals, as families, to consider, to think, to be in prayer. So Easter has happened. So, so what does that mean? Let us pray. God, I thank you for your, your word. I thank you for the celebration that we have experienced, the, the buildup, the excitement, the joy, the celebration of Easter. And I just pray, God, that it's, it's, it's something that takes hold of us that we can point to how Easter has impacted our life, our community, our church, our world in ways that only point to you could only happen because of you. God, don't let us settle for kind of doing things halfway. Guide us as we seek your spirit to be a part of what you're doing and get on board with that. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.